Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of Banal of America Audio, Season 2. It is March 17, 2007. Happy St. Patrick's Day, folks. Our guest this week is Mac Tony's Part 2 of 2, and we're going to be discussing two big topics. First, we're going to be talking about the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, something that Mac Tony's has been working on for the better part of a year or so and really picked up a buzz over the course of the last six months. Everybody seemed to be talking about the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, and you really get the feeling that a lot more people are going to be talking about it in the months and years to come as this theory starts to gain ground. We're going to talk to the man who really got the whole ball rolling on the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, Mac Tony's. It's his baby. We're going to go in-depth on the CTH, what it is, what it isn't, and a ton of details. In the second half of this installment, we're going to talk about ufology, some of the big-picture questions we like to discuss here on the show. Young people in ufology, ufology in the Internet, disclosure, other hot-button topics. Plus, of course, we're going to talk about tons and tons more stuff. It is jam-packed. I can't even recap it really here in the preview. So let's just move right into the bio. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Mac Tony's, let me tell you a little bit about him. Mac Tony's is an author-slash-essayist whose futuristic fiction and speculative essays have appeared in many print and online publications. He's the author of Illuminated Black, a collection of science fiction short stories, and After the Martian Apocalypse. Mac maintains Post-Human Blues, a widely read blog devoted to emerging technologies and paranormal phenomena, and is a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research. He lives in Kansas City, Missouri, where he writes, reads, and surfs the net. He is currently at work on a new book on the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. His blog is posthumanblues.blogspot.com, and his formal website is mactonies.com, M-A-C-T-O-N-N-I-E-S.com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 20th, 2007. Mac Tony's, part two of two, on Banal of America Audio, season two. Let's move on now to your present work. And it's, it's really created quite a buzz in, in the UFO field in the last six months to a year or so. And that's this uh, crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. So for starters, why don't you bring everybody up to speed so far on, on what the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis is. Um, so, and we'll build from there. Yeah, the crypto-terrestrial idea is, is basically a synthesis of, of other ideas that have been around for a while, but never quite in this form. Uh, I'm kind of drawing on research by Jacques Vallée, John Keel, uh, even Graham Hancock mm-hmm. to some degree, uh, thinkers, thinkers like that, unorthodox ideas that were sharing the planet with a non-human intelligence. And uh, specifically that this intelligence is responsible in large part uh, for the UFO phenomenon as we know it. And, um, you know, it's a very, it's a very uh, appealing theory on, on some levels, but on other levels it's, it's quite uh, off-putting because it recalls some, some very uh, lame ideas like Richard Shaver's idea of the hollow earth populated by degenerate robots and stuff like that. Yeah. So it has a certain kook, kook factor to it that uh, that some people sense immediately and uh, and and use to you know denigrate it and uh, which is fine because there's always there's always area for disagreement but I've grown increasingly uncomfortable with the extraterrestrial hypothesis as yeah. as the final word for what UFOs must be uh, if they're not 
some sort of uh, psychological manifestation or, or whatever. Yeah. I think that I think that this is a much wider inquiry. And if you look at the present state of ufology, you find that it's very addicted to uh, the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like well, it's either it's either a natural phenomenon or it's aliens, and uh, I think that's. Far, far too simplistic. I still think that the, the questions outweigh the possible explanations. So I am simply attempting to come up with, an, uh, with, a, with a thought experiment uh, mm -hmm. and, and posing the question to, to researchers, why can't this work? Why, why, what's unscientific about this? Yeah. You know, this is something that's conceivably testable given, given sufficient resources. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not proposing, incidentally, that these non-humans that share the planet with us are from another dimension, and that's one of the one of the pretty integral uh, ideas behind Belay's idea of the multiverse, for example. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm simply stating that these are, are flesh and blood creatures. You know, they might have some some uh, some advantageous abilities that might be uh, called psychic, for lack of a better term. Um, but I don't think we're dealing with something quote unquote paranormal so much as anthropological. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, that that's particularly uh, fascinating, um, and I wanted to ask you: um, these crypto terrestrials within this hypothesis are they living uh, like literally amongst us, or would they be found in sort of like an isolated pocket? I think they stick to isolated areas. I think that they have. Um I think that they have prob probably bases underwater. We have lots of we have lots of uh, reports of UFOs sighted near uh, mountainous regions that are pretty much inaccessible to normal people uh, without without recourse to technology, of course. But uh, and also near bodies of water emerging emerging and descending into bodies of water. Yeah. Uh, even even right in our right in our, you know backyard, so to speak. So yeah, that's 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 an option. And uh, another option is that. At least some of these beings are sufficiently human-like that they can pass among us un, you know, pretty much undetected. Uh, I don't think that they probably show themselves off too much, but I think that they uh, nevertheless are among us and uh, possibly possibly taking us in, and uh, you could kind of liken them to secret agents, if you will. Yeah. You know? Seeing what are what where we where we stand because if they're sharing the planet with us then they probably have at least some interest in how we're in how we're faring as a yeah. species because we could be kind of the canary for them you know if we go they go that would explain why so many UFOs are seen hovering over military installations and nuclear power plants mm -hmm. uh, they might have a stake in all this. And uh, and that offers an explanation that the ETH really doesn't. You can always argue, well, like, you know, visiting aliens from some other star could, uh, they're going to be interested in our ability to uh, end life on this planet because we're interesting research specimens and they don't want to see their experiment perish. Uh, and that's, you know, there's an argument to be made there, but I don't think that's the final argument. Um, and then you sort of uh, you sort of poo-poo and, and say that you're not, this isn't a hollow earth uh you don't have any. Uh, you don't tie this into the hollow earth, right? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. <laughs> earth isn't hollow. No, I, you don't. You don't need a hollow earth to accommodate these these hypothetical beings. They could. They could live. I'm convinced that they could live on the earth, more or less as we know it. Yeah, sort yeah. of a la uh, Bigfoot. Oh yeah, it, it, Bigfoot is indeed a, a primate. Uh, here we've got this, you know, and you've got you've got some you've got some like Jane Goodall, for example. You know, this, she she advocates the you know the scientific study of of, of Bigfoot. Yeah. She doesn't rule out the the existence of a large primate living in her backyard. 
And, uh, you know, if you can allow for the existence of something big and smelly, as Bigfoot is described as being, <laughs> yeah. right here, you know, living living on the fringes of human existence and, you know, right right at the edge of our perception, then, then who's to say that someone more intelligent could? In fact, I would argue that it's more likely that someone with higher than human uh, average intelligence could pull off um, – pull off a secrecy act like this yeah. uh, than, than some sort of big shambling Neanderthal-like uh, primate. <laughs> Hopefully Bigfoot's not listening. Hopefully Bigfoot's not listening. I could be totally wrong on Bigfoot. Maybe Bigfoot is much smarter than, than he's depicted as being in the media. Um, be. I'm going to throw out some just sort of uh, peripheral uh, UFO-related stuff here, and you can kind of let me know how this fits into the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, really, because yeah. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting, um, and it's a new way of looking at, at the whole phenomenon, really. So let me start with just abductions, because you sort of touch on that a little bit in some of your writings. Um, where do you see the abduction phenomenon fitting into the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis? Well, you, you read Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, and I'm aware of the limitations of hypnosis and the dangers of it. Nevertheless, even if it weren't for those guys, if you look uh, at the, the folkloric evidence going back a long, long, long time, there is a preoccupation with human reproduction uh, with small diminutive, uh, exceedingly smart, clever humanoids in our midst. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much undeniable. And uh, if these beings are real, then they would seem to have some sort of preoccupation with our ability to reproduce, and uh, even to the point of creating hybrid offspring with us. And if that is so, then wow, you know, I mean, maybe they are trying to preserve their um, genetic legacy. Maybe they are trying to improve themselves or infuse their genetic stock with with, with new material so they can keep going. Uh, we seem to be numerically superior to these hypothetical beings. Yeah. In which case, they might be suffering from, uh, you know, uh, they might be suffering from some genetic maladies that they cannot cure uh, by themselves, or, or, or simply, it's simply more efficient for them to to address by uh, by infusing themselves with our with our genes, and that would account for at least some accounts of alien abduction that have. That have this this very reproductive overtone to them. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm going there, in a, in a, in a, in a very 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 small nutshell. Now, does the crypto terrestrial hypothesis does it leave the door open for the ETH? Or? Yeah. I, I some people again, it's this very binary uh, outlook, but yeah. I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive, and I've tried to make that clear. And you know, some people get it, and some don't. Um, no, we we could be being visited by aliens and and still have these these beings on Earth. You know, this is this is a this is a thought experiment. You know, and I yeah. justify it because it's because it's testable, just like the the face on Mars is testable. Um, and how we test it is a little more indirect and a little bit more of a more of a slippery proposition than than Martian artifacts. I'll give you that, but uh, nevertheless, I think it's a valid hypothesis, and that's why I I don't use the word hypothesis. Because it sounds lofty and scientific, <laughs> I use it because hopefully it'll remind people. It's not saying that this is the way it is. It is just that it is. It is a possibility, and hopefully a scientifically testable possibility. And uh, it's going to be hard to test because if I'm right, then these people don't want to be discovered. Yeah. Well, how do you suggest going about testing for the the crypto terrestrial hypothesis? There are some. There are various ways. Part of it is uh, looking for in the fossil record. Or looking at our own DNA, one, or or taking a much more robust uh, 
uh, interest in forensic aspects of alien abductions. Uh, I'm looking for genetic material. Yeah. Because uh, again, with with this, I don't think that we're dealing with beings that are that are godlike in the sense that extra extrasolar aliens are purported to be godlike and and uh, incapable of error. In fact, if we were if we were dealing with with aliens in the in the in the usual sense of the word, I think that they would be able to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do, and we wouldn't know it. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't even recognize the fact that they were here. Instead, we're seeing something that seems remarkably humanoid and uh, remarkable remarkably uh, amenable to, to human psychology. The fact that these things are, are, are humanoid and, and that we can converse with them, albeit telepathically sometimes, and uh, recognize such things as facial expressions and even even associate with their technology and, and seem to know where they're coming from on an on a, on a interpersonal level mm-hmm. uh, is exceedingly unlikely in the case in the event of extrasolar visitation. Uh, it seems to me that we're dealing with a kind of human, an unrecognized aspect of uh, the human species. In this case, an offshoot. And, uh, you know, I don't know where they originated specifically, but they seem to be uh, extremely stealthy and extremely clever and uh, extremely desperate in, in a very interesting, in a very interesting way. Now, you say uh, some of this law is based on um, folklore type of stuff and, and that kind of thing. And do you, do you uh, ascribe any sort of look to what you think these crypto-terrestrials might be like? Do you, would they be what people uh, assume are the greys, or would they be well, something along the, like, a, like a fairy leprechaun right. type of uh, creature? I've heard, I, have, I, had, I actually have a, a report from, from a guy in Oregon who's, who's met some of these beings, and he describes them as being diminutive and uh, very small people that sometimes uh, they kind of almost kind of hobo, hobo-like people, mm-hmm. and, but they're very small, and uh, they claim to predate, uh, you know, known Native American civilizations and have their own language and stuff like that. Wow. But they don't look like the greys. You know, they're not little spindly aliens with, yeah. with big giant eyes. On the other hand, you've got some reports of the greys and certain traits, certain salient aspects of descriptions of, of, of the greys that go back a long time in, in folklore. Uh, long arms and fingers and, and big eyes and uh, things like that, and, and anomalies with complexion and, and stuff like that isn't exactly new. You know, it didn't surface in the, in the, in the mid-80s with communion, as some people are comfortable assuming. And uh, I'm drawn to the possibility that that these are indeed uh, exaggerated aspects, possibly of of an actual of an actual species. A really interesting book uh, that makes that makes sense in in, in light of the crypto terrestrial idea is John Keel's Mothman Prophecies. He describes some very strange people that have weird physical traits. Uh, you know, these long fingers, these. Uh, strange complexions and very strange mannerisms. Yeah, and uh, you know he could be describing just very eccentric, weirdo people. <laughs> yeah. uh, but again, uh, <clears throat> the parallels with descriptions of, of assumed aliens uh, force me to wonder if maybe we're dealing with uh, an intelligence that that utilizes the human form to pass among us, if only for limited periods of time. Yeah. And then, um, how do you sort of fit the classic UFO uh, scenario into into the crypto terrestrial hypothesis, uh, being you know the lights in the sky, UFO sightings type of thing? Um, right. Would you say the UFOs are you know possibly their their vehicles or and also they could be. Uh, although I think 
possibly a much more likely explanation in some, in at least some episodes, is that UFOs are misdirection. Uh, if we're dealing with a species that 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 desires secrecy, yeah. what better way to uh, throw us off the throw us off the scent than to masquerade as extrasolar aliens? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've got this, you've got the the Condon effect, you know, where you even mentioned the possibility of extraterrestrial visitation in context of, of the UFO phenomenon and people people scoff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, if I were a, if I were a, a non-human living, living here on this planet and wanted to deny my own existence, I'd utilize that. I'd take advantage of that. I'd take advantage of the fact that people, uh, people unreasonably deny the existence of, um, of uh, extrasolar aliens, and uh, and use UFOs as a subterfuge, uh, and uh, you know you look at UFOs like the Washington Nationals, Rendlesham, uh, uh, the Zamora case. Uh, you know, I can't even begin to name them all, and they all have this very staged theatric flavor, where they look like. These are objects that that are uh, in the sky for us to see, yeah. which is not exactly what you, you'd expect of, of a of an alien task force here on Earth to observe us. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's anything but clinical. They're they, you know they're flying around the skies, taunting our aircraft, being seen by lots of people. You know, to top it off, they're covered with flashing lights and doing all these fascinating acrobatics and and you know taunting us. And uh, you know, it could be we're dealing with something as quote unquote simple as as you know some sort of holographic technology, uh, or they could be actual craft. We could be dealing with a civilization that uh, has mastered anti gravity and is using is using props to to just tantalize us tantalize us to the point of uh, uh, of paralysis, where where we're reduced to just to just um, Hashing over the same old uh, theoretical possibilities without considering the possibility that the answer is right under our noses the whole time. Mm -hmm. You're not big on the conspiracy aspect of uh, the Mars stuff, uh, but where do you fall into the conspiracy aspect of the UFO phenomenon and you know government cover up of UFO uh, um, information? Uh, that's a good question because because I I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm a little more open to the possibility of of a, of a UFO cover up. Uh, if you, you know you, you have certain UFO incidents that certainly have the flavor of the government knowing more than it does. Yeah. And uh, if we're dealing with indigenous humanoids as opposed to aliens from another planet, then it increases the the likelihood that the government knows that that's what we're dealing with. Um, and uh, you know, have events like the Roswell crash. Um, some of the materials are described in a way that superficially is balloon-like. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the interesting thing about the Roswell crash is that none of the explanations work. Uh, the Project Mogul explanation fails. Um, the, the flying saucer from another planet doesn't fare much better, although it might be just as good. But perhaps it was some sort of surveillance device built by uh, a civilization uh, right here on Earth. Uh, that doesn't mean that it wasn't uh, a balloon of some kind, but maybe it wasn't our balloon. Maybe it was someone else's device. And maybe the, the rash of sightings uh, after World War II were an attempt to assess uh, the situation. You know, what's going on? Are these people capable of uh, blowing themselves up? Uh, uh, what's the ecological assessment? You know, should we be afraid? Uh, that, sort of, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so if we stumbled across the, the you know, the wreckage of, a, of an attempt to monitor one of our military bases or something like that, 
I think in a laboratory setting, it would be a lot easier to just to to figure out that these beings originated from right here on Earth. Yeah. rather than some other star system. And uh, I think some people would start to have some hunches along those lines and might even start to start seeking out possible bases. And if that's the case, then it's, you know, it's conceivable that, we, that some, some faction, some arbitrary faction within the, within the government hierarchy has, has established some sort of diplomatic relationship with these beings uh, because they certainly seem capable in, in some respects and very frighteningly so. Um, Nevertheless, I don't think that they are necessarily even our technological superiors, except in certain aspects. Now, we have some things that they don't appear to have. We have a global infrastructure. We have nuclear weapons. We have uh, all kinds of, of very um, elaborate and overt, you know, toys yeah. in our in our possession that we don't, you know, we don't, we don't see any blatant evidence of of this kind of thing with with the alleged cryptoterrestrials, which leads me to believe that they are relying on some other kind of technology that uh, that eludes us. But it's not impossible that someone somewhere has 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 put a few pieces of the puzzle together and at least has a suspicion that we're dealing with beings native to this planet instead of hailing from from you know the, the far depths of space. So that's not that's not an impossible scenario. Um, why haven't they destroyed us? You know, if they because I, I think they need us. But well, let's go from what you just said there and, and, and say, um, why do you think they need us for the, for the genetic uh, element? Um, yeah, that's kind of back to the genetic element yeah. again. I think, I think that they're trying to uh, perhaps steer our psychosocial evolution, and, and that's an idea that kind of goes back to Jacques Vallée's idea of, of the multiverse, yeah. where we're dealing with some sort of trickster. And uh, we could indeed be dealing with the trickster, but not necessarily from a parallel universe or some other aspect of space-time, like John Keel, John Keel gets into with his with, a, with his idea of the electromagnetic super spectrum, which is a very appealing idea in, it, in that it kind of lends scientific terminology to old occult notions. Mm -hmm. um, but with the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, we're dealing with um, we're dealing with uh, an intelligence that has a stake in our ability to keep the planet livable because it realizes and is humble enough to acknowledge that we have a not inconsiderable uh, say in what in what goes on here and uh, and is willing to acknowledge that uh, our downfall may be may, may very well be their downfall so rather than than you know make open contact mm -hmm. with us which is something that I don't think it is any intention of doing because it would entail its collapse it's prefers to remain in the background and kind of waging a form of psychotronic warfare on us, uh, kind of deluging us with, with, with memes. And one of those memes, of course, is that we must be dealing with extraterrestrial aliens and not, and not, uh, native, na and not a native intelligence. Have you looked at like the evolution of the UFO phenomenon since it really sort of re uh, since it sort of exploded in the in the 40s onward mm -hmm. to now and and try to fit that into the the CT cryptoterrestrial point of view and and looked at maybe uh, from their point of view what what was going on there? I think maybe we got out of control in the 19 in the when after World War II that's when we started seeing Moore's law go into effect and uh, we're now kind of racing towards what some people have termed a singularity you know and uh, a techn technological singularity and that could that could prove disastrous for or a visiting intel for excuse me not a visiting intelligence but an, an indigenous intelligence uh, 
if the, if the CTs are real and among us, then they would have had thousands of years in which to pretty much control us at their whim, you know? Yeah. You know, we're lots of isolated tribes and, and, and city-states, and, and uh, they could have ruled the planet. And uh, perhaps their time is up and they're fearing a sort of end game. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of the later, uh, or some of the more recent sightings that seem credible are, are an attempt to kind of get us ready for this, for an eventual contact, if only as a contingency. Yeah. That's an idea that kind of has a certain paranoid charm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's a fact or not. Uh, on the other hand, maybe, maybe this is the plan all along. Maybe they wanted us to become, um, uh, to become a technological equal with them. Maybe, maybe they've been kind of subliminally coaxing us. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe they need company. You know, maybe, maybe they're tired of this, of this, of this. Uh, millennia old, uh, you know, taking our DNA and using us as, as, you know, glorified livestock. Maybe they'd like to have an equal and, and like to enter into some sort of symbiotic relationship with us instead of, instead of remaining on the margins. And if you read lots of, lots of, uh, reports of, of alien abductions, uh, I get the feeling that this, this is indeed an, an element that's being overlooked because some of the people writing about their experiences with ostensible euphonauts, um, are, are writing from the perspective of people who think they're dealing or have dealt with literal extraterrestrials. Yeah. And uh, the cryptoterrestrial idea doesn't seem to have entered their mind. Nevertheless, we find lots of references to underground bases and uh, things of that nature. And that, that kind of makes me suspicious that, that there's something to this, despite the prevailing wisdom that we're dealing with aliens. There's something to what to the crypto so something to the crypto terrestrial oh, okay. idea. The fact that we're that we're getting that we're getting feedback that seems to confirm it, even from people who are are you know gung ho ETH. Yeah. So you're almost saying like uh, instead of uh, they're extraterrestrials and they came here and set up base that they've been here all along and stuff. Yes. Yeah. I think that they've evolved on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one aspect that kind of came up here as I'm listening to you uh, uh, sort of extrapolate on the on the CTH. Uh, especially in light of how you think that maybe they're steering, uh, steering the human culture, is that it does sort of tread dangerously close to the uh, to the sinister reptilian yeah. um, theory, and uh, with the exception of that, they don't seem very sinister. Um, but uh, I think they're more sympathetic than sinister. Okay, sort of. Uh, yeah. So you're not you're not part of the big reptilian movement. Though. No, <laughs> not at all. I, I, the reptilians seem to be a, a cultural uh, conceit that kind of a, kind of arose after, well, frankly, after the television series V became popular. Yeah. And they kind of entered into the uh, little symbolic lexicon, you know, of, of ufology of all, of all the beings, the taxonomy of the otherworldly, and. And, you know, maybe there are beings with reptilian aspects out there. I don't know. But uh, the, the cryptoterrestrials, I, I think, are more human-like. Yeah. I think that a lot of them could, could uh, you know, walk down the street. Have you thought about crop circles at all and if they work into the uh, CT theory and what, what they might be all about? You know, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am inclined to think crop circles are, are outright hoaxes or um, or possibly uh, microwave experiments using stealth blimps or satellites. I think there's actually some evidence that some crop circles, although probably the, the minute, very minute percentage, are actually uh, 
unexplained in the sense that uh, they're not accomplished with boards and rope. But uh, no, I don't think I don't think there's a link uh, with 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 um, the UFO intelligence, whatever that intelligence is. Although there has been. Uh, I think some people would like us to think that there is, and uh, even even going so far as to perhaps stage a UFO sighting here and there, but that's not out of the realm. That's not out of the of what the military could do, for example, uh, for relatively trivial reasons. One of the one of the things I, I noticed in, in, on your blog when you're talking about the crypto terrestrial theory is uh, you do sort of mention the uh, this whole DMT research and yeah. the elves and I think they're, you call them oh they're called uh, tykes or something like that yeah yeah um, talk a little bit about that because I have found that to be pretty fascinating stuff and I haven't heard much about it. Yeah, there are huge parallels between between people who have uh, who have experienced uh, episodes with DMT and other and other drugs and other altered states, not just not just chemically derived, and the archetypal alien abduction experience. And mm -hmm. I should include near near death experiences with that as well. Yeah. So one of my one of my little cautious propositions is that if we're dealing with crypto terrestrials, then they have somehow uh, had had have. They kind of a, instead of an industrial revolution as we have had, they've had kind of a, a breakthrough in the mechanics of consciousness, yeah. and they and possess some abilities that are that are pretty remarkable from from our perspective. Uh, nevertheless, I think that we that we share uh, we share some of those with with them, uh, and uh, we shouldn't automatically preclude some sort of telepathy or some sort of. Um, well, maybe it's like an internet. You know, we get on we get on a website or a chat room or a blog and interact with other people. Maybe, and that, but that requires lots of substantial physical hardware. Mm -hmm. You know, in the, in the world that we all experience, the physical world. But maybe if maybe these crypto terrestrials have uh, one of the reasons we don't see, you know, blatant evidence of uh, of uh, you know their artifacts is because they've uh, exploited this this uh, hitherto undeveloped, underdeveloped uh, science of, of the mind and are able to converse uh, through some sort of form of quantum entanglement. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe DMT is, is a tool with which we might be able to uh, communicate with them on a meaningful basis. And also you have uh, geomagnetic anomalies that seem to have seem to trigger a, a so-called hallucinatory tripwire in the brain. And again, this might have some sort of relevance to the CT question as well. Yeah, like you're saying that the uh, the crypto terrestrials they are existing here with us, so that precludes uh, the other uh, realms of um, where the ETs might be coming from, or where the the beings might be coming from, which are like obviously ET, interdimensional, and time traveler. You don't. Uh, do you work in those at all? The uh, the interdimensional aspect you kind of touched on there. Well, it kind of comes down to the the you know is the ETH mutually exclusive with the CTH, and it's not. Um, we we could be dealing with all kinds of things, um, but the, but the general the overall flavor of of in, the encounter experience leads me to believe that we don't necessarily need those. It's kind of an Occam's razor type thing. We don't necessarily need recourse to uh, other dimensions or outer space to account for uh, the context of these very, very uh, strangely mannered human-like beings that we've been coming into contact with since, since prehistory, it seems to me. Uh, another, another legend that fascinates me is the uh, Sumerian myth of the being that comes out of the water and teaches and teaches us how to be um, civilized, teaches us the art of, of building a city and all the establishments attendant to that. And uh, 
that's that's interesting because if this is a if this is a crypto terrestrial intelligence, uh, not only does it provide a link with with the underwater origin that you find a lot with uh, with UFOs emerging from lakes and oceans, but it also entails that perhaps they have uh, some sort of not altruistic, but uh, some sort of participatory stake in what we do with ourselves. And if they if they care enough to teach us the art of civilization, then you know why 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 do they care? What is yeah. their what do they get out of this? Uh, I find it hard to believe that they are altruists, and that comes back to the the Space Brothers of the 1950s. You had all these people emerging from from uh, flying saucers telling us all these wonderful things that we wanted to hear, and you can readily explain that you know by by recourse to mythology and and the you know the desire to believe and. But at the same time, maybe some of these experiences were were real, but but staged. You know, maybe they were productions uh, enacted by by this intelligence that we might be sharing the planet with, to kind of get us to kind of get our collective attention. You know, we weren't shown the literal literal truth because that's that's the last thing that they want to show us. So they showed us uh, sexy uh, women in, in in space outfits landing in these. You know. Flying saucers, because that's what we were expecting. You know, we, we'd reached this 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 uh, point in history where we expected uh, the skies to be filled with alien spacecraft, because that seemed like the logical next thing, because that's what we were going to do. Yeah. And the same thing with lots of, uh, and this goes back to to Valet's paper, uh, the absurd humanoids, where he actually did a statistical study of all the sightings of of uh, little little humanoids, you know, on roadsides and stuff, taking soil samples. You know, how sensible is this if we're dealing with aliens from other star system? It's much more likely that uh, this is being enacted for our benefit to make us think we're being that we're being visited by beings from another star system. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's a this is a really fascinating road to go down. But yeah, it's, it goes in circles. <laughs> you, you reach these you reach these ellipses, you know, and then you try to extricate yourself from these, and it, yeah, it's a labyrinth. You, you just keep going. So it's so it's necessarily speculative, you know. I mean, yeah. I realize that this is weird stuff. Yeah, but uh, you know the ETH uh, hypothesis has been taken as far as it really can. And well, and ETH is weird stuff too. Oh, obviously, yeah. It, it, asks, it basically asks us to ignore everything that we're, that we've learned about the progress of, of technology here on Earth. It takes it takes a very 1930s approach to technological development, and assumes that aliens are going to be flesh and blood creatures visiting us in metal spaceships. You know, much like the Apollo astronaut, astronauts on the moon. Yeah. Uh, did in the 1960s, and I, I find that absurd. I I don't I think if we're visited by beings from another star system, it's going to be uh, uh, well, like I said earlier, we probably wouldn't even know they were here unless they explicitly wanted us to know. Uh, but if they but if they did make if they were open about their existence, we'd find that they would be almost appallingly alien. You know, we, I, we might not even be able to comprehend them in many respects, and their technologies would be, uh, to quote Arthur C. Clarke, indis indistinguishable from magic. And that's not what we're seeing, or seem to be seeing, uh, with the crypto-terrestrial uh, angle. Yeah. We seem to be seeing a human intelligence, uh, an intelligence possessed of very recognizably human attributes. And you think, yeah, especially uh, noteworthy would be like the fallibility of the uh, of these uh, other beings in that they crash 
Yeah, right. Exactly. We, we they don't seem they don't seem all that godlike. They seem pretty vulnerable in, in pretty in some respects. I, I think that's kind of their secret. I don't think they want us to know how how fragile they are. If you read lots of abduction narratives, you find uh, be, people being spirited away in a very uh, and people describe it almost like being in the grips of a paramilitary unit. You know, in other words, these people have time constraints. These people uh, are are. are you know, their their fingers are on the trigger. They're nervous about being discovered. You know, they're not they're not uh, omniscient. Yeah, it does sound very uh, leprechaun-esque too. Right. Yeah, and it goes back, and I, I think that there's a definite parallel there. I think people are addressing the same core enigma using the uh, the conceits at their disposal. And uh, one of the one of the sort of big news stories that came out that definitely lends credence to the crypto uh, hypothesis is this uh, race of hobbits that they found. That, yes, yeah. I'm sure that uh, added a lot of fuel to the crypto fire as it was started growing. Well, yeah, I found it. I found it. Well, here's a proof of concept. We have small humanoids, and and they're not you know degenerate people. It's an actual offshoot of the human species. They're yeah. they're actually humans, uh, and it turns out that these people interacted with with uh, humans as we know them. So here we have you know a diminutive offshoot race on an island doing their doing their own thing. Uh, but yet barely recognized. We're just now learning that they existed, you know. And and, and take it the other way. Take it, so let's say let's say that these beings were more advanced, and it's kind of more like the Bigfoot question, you know. Would yeah. would Bigfoot be Bigfoot secrecy more be more well served if it, if Bigfoot was uh, uh, assuming Bigfoot exists, of course, if if it was a dumb you know primate or if it was a, a technologically advanced being that, that that elected to exist on the on the fringes. So yeah, the hobbits are are like a are kind of a proof of concept. Whether whether a sophisticated version of the hobbits could exist in our world of you know ubiquitous surveillance and 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 aircraft and and uh, radar and and everything else, all these technologies and have the potential to just uncover their existence. That's another uh, question that I think remains unresolved, but I think it's possible, and I think that's maybe one reason why the why the underwater aspect to the to the UFO uh, phenomenon is is worth considering. It tends to go ignored, and I, Ivan Sanderson uh, is a is a good guy to read yeah. because he, here's a zoologist coming at the UFO enigma with no real pre preconceptions. He comes at it almost with with uh, an endearing naivete, and I like that because it's he's he's pretty much free of the prevailing dogma, and uh, he, he's proposing creatures, he's proposing uh, uh, terrestrial intelligences and, and things like that too, but in a different way. Was there any sort of moment when this crypto terrestrial hypothesis, uh, like the light bulb, went off for you, or has it just sort of been percolating over the over the course of the last few uh, years or whatever? And how long have you sort of been working on it, if you will? Well, I think it probably started last February in some small way. Mm -hmm. It's always been at kind of the, the periphery of my of my uh, consciousness, you know. It, yeah. Ever since ever since I started reading Willie Strieber, and. Uh, if it was just Willie Strieber, then you know I could I could I could dismiss it all. You know, this is one guy's interpretation. You know, this is one guy's take on a, on something that he's quite possibly not able to understand. Yeah, and I wouldn't blame him. But it's not just him; it's all kinds of different people uh, describing describing a phenomenon that seems, on the surface, tantalizingly like like uh, extraterrestrial visitation. But when you look just a little bit deeper, you start seeing 
you start realizing that the, the texture of these narratives is, is rather porous, but not in a way that, that uh, leads me to believe that these people are lying or delusional, but in a way that leads me to, to think that they're being shown things. And uh, one case that's very explicit in this respect is uh, Betty Andreas and Luca's uh, abductions, yeah. where, where she's obviously being shown um, simulated events to elicit a psychological reaction, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's seeing all these mythological things. You know, even she doesn't think it's real. You know, she, she knows, she knows, she appears to know on some level that she's seen, that she's seen staged events that the, that the little aliens are, are, are um, showing her for her benefit. And uh, if you grant that a species has this kind of ability to conjure up images like this, who's to say they're not conjuring up the entire spectacle of UFOs themselves? It's a fascinating theory. I can see why it's really uh, picked up a lot of steam and, and become quite a talked-about theory in, in general, just because it's really, uh, once you sort of start applying it to the UFO phenomenon and all the uh, tangential elements to it, um, you, just, you just run a gamut of interesting sort of uh, reactions. Yeah, it kind of resurrects this kook factor, <laughs> the, uh, the shaver, the shaver factor, you know, and and, and all these very extremely pulp, uh, ludicrous things that, nevertheless, while they were inaccurate, might have struck a struck a chord, you know, mm -hmm. and it might have actually people might have recognized some sort of element of plausibility in it, even though they were made to be made out to be so ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I think this offers a more substantial way of looking at some of these mysteries that have been hashed around since the pulp era. As you said, uh, this thing sort of uh, picked up steam in the last year or so, and, and uh, notably in the last few months I've seen I've seen you appearing on a lot of programs and stuff like that and discussing. Yeah, I'm working on a book, too. What's that? Working on a book, too. Yep, yep. Um, and working on the book and then and the... And uh, it seems like the, the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis really has become the talk of, of the UFO circles lately. Um, so what, what would you say the general reaction to the crypto theory has been? Now, the general reaction has been, uh, depending on who you speak to, it's been one of uh, outright rage. <laughs> outright. Oh, my God, you know, what are, what's ufology come to? Uh, to one of, hey, okay, this is, this is good, but, you know, he needs to show evidence. You know, he needs to he needs to elaborate on this a little bit, mm -hmm. which is which is entirely a fair criticism. You know, obviously, yeah, I I can't just yeah we're dealing with we're dealing with uh, little diminutive humanoids and uh, you know with genetic different genetic caste systems to interact with us in di different contexts and yeah that's the explanation. You know, it, that's not you know that's that's the general flavor of my argument, but that's I don't I don't uh, I don't pretend to expect anyone to uh, take that as gospel. Yeah. So yeah, I need to elaborate on it, and uh, you know, I, I'm not. I'm also not, I'm also not going to pretend that it's going to be any more than a hypothesis. But I do think that it's every bit as valid as the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and that's probably tooting my horn a little bit. But uh, it's and, and it is original to me, and, and it's in its modern incarnation, in the contemporary incarnation in which I'm using it. But but I'm also drawing on things by Valet and Keel and other people, and just and synthesizing it into um, something a little more material, something a little more accessible in, in light of what we know about technology and uh, anthropology. So it's a new slant, and I think it's a new way of addressing the UFO enigma that uh, you can't exclude for any intellectually valid reason. Yeah. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to polarize people just like anything else. 
you know, and, and that's a good thing ultimately because it results in some useful friction. Yeah, well, I think it's exciting too that uh, that there's a new that there's a new way of looking at this at this entire phenomenon in a way that's that, that you're you're championing, um, just because it, it does bring a freshness to the whole to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fresh way of looking at it. I I always appreciated that. I think I think uh, books like Communion that that obviously has had a deep a deep impact in the in the public's collective unconscious uh, had that same questioning quality, and I think people I think people enjoy that questioning quality, the ability to suspend the typical banter about believers and, and, and debunkers and look at things anew and wonder about things. Yeah. I think that there's a I think that people like that and appreciate the chance to do that, even though the media um, is almost always apathetic to that. I mean, it's uh, it's much more profitable and much easier to present everything in terms of black and white. Yeah. And uh, I'm offering a shade of gray that uh, seems to have seems to have uh, um, elicited some some interest, and and that's that's gratifying because it means maybe I'm not just nuts. <laughs> um, now, do you speculate at all on on the origins of the CTs? Um, in that, in and how they, you know, how they came about, have they been here all along? You sort of allude to the idea that they evolved, uh, sort of as an offshoot of us or something. But yeah, uh, I think I think that there are they evolved as, as an offshoot of us. I think there are different different kinds of them. I think that they are genetically uh, quite powerful. I think they're I think they're genetic engineers. I think that's one ability that they have that that. Uh, well, they they would have to have it if if they are if they're actually infusing themselves with human human DNA yeah. as part of some sort of hybridization program or whatnot. Then then yeah, they would have to have some some degree of genetic um, flair, and I think that that's that's one aspect of their of their um, of their arsenal that, that that shouldn't go under shouldn't be underestimated. Maybe they just want to be taller. Taller. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe they just want to be able to, you know, have see in the dark and and everything. But you know, you look at the gray. You look at the gray, the drone-like gray with the big eyes and the and the small frame, and it's in the pale complexion. And it's tempting to wonder if this is some sort of specialized uh, template for perhaps uh, nocturnal work. You know, if this is some oh, sort of, or maybe yeah. these things, you have all kinds of reports of, of you know, tunnel systems, and and I'm, I'm going into folklore here, you know, with mm-hmm. reports of uh, of uh, little little humanoids and mines and, and and things like that. Yeah. But you have to wonder if some of these little, if some of these little uh, dwarf dwarf-like creatures uh, are actually from from underground habitats, underground facilities, and if they are in some sense manufactured as to be like a little helper cast. Yeah. You know, I, I get this. I get this feeling that we're dealing with uh, a genetic cast system, kind of like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, sometimes, where you have the uh, the more human-like uh, beings, sometimes so human that they they they're called the blondes, yeah, or the the Nordics, mm-hmm. which seems very New Agey until you start looking at it. That's not that's another little aspect of the of the whole UFO abduction. Um, Problem that that seems to make more sense in, in light of a cryptoterrestrial origin, and rather than a rather than an extraterrestrial origin. Uh, but then you have beings like um, oh the the so-called mantis-looking things. Yeah. And uh, I, I I I'm convinced that a lot of this is noise uh, produced by produced by the whole culture of uh, hypnotherapy and people you know desperate for answers and. Uh, 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not couching everything I'm saying on on hypnotically derived testimony by any means. But when it seems to, but when 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 things recalled under hypnosis seem to evoke uh, folklore in in ways that seem very unlikely uh, for the person for the person being being regressed to just spontaneously start talking about it makes me wonder if there's you know some kernel some little nugget of truth at the, at the bottom of that that's that's uh, that's responsible so yeah i think that the the crypto terrestrials are not uh, you know i'm not talking about an organization a coherent organization of, of individuals that are all on the same team. Yeah. I think it's more of a planet-wide phenomenon. In fact, I was made aware of some interesting documents uh, through Nick Redfern. Mm -hmm. uh, in World War II, apparently, uh, um, some beings were sighted, some humanoid beings were sighted on some islands in uh, off, off Japan, I believe. And they were they were you know human-like but small and odd and un, unrecognized and uncatalogued. Yeah, you know not not a known race of people. And they were on this on this island you know doing their own thing. You know, and this is back to the Hobbit question again. This is if true, this is kind of a proof of concept, if nothing else, mm -hmm. that uh, human-like or, or essentially human intelligence can exist right on this planet with us. You know, and. Uh, it's it's been said before, but I think it bears repetition that uh, we know less about the surface of our own planet than we do the moon. Yeah, and uh, especially with all the water, especially with the oceans, right? And I can't help but think, given given the uh, repeated folkloric references to beings emerging from bodies of water to impart knowledge to humanity, etc., and uh, and coupled with the, with the modern reports of craft emerging from water and uh, and flying saucers. Um, entering, entering, and exiting bodies of water. That there's a connection there. Below the surface of, of, of uh, lakes and oceans would be it would be a, a good hiding place, if nothing else. This uh, these cryptos are you say they're kind of all over the world, but but not organized. So we could be dealing with uh, the human race uh, and multiple different crypto races. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, different, different, different crypto races. That some of them, some of them are a little more uh, savvy than others. Some of them might actually not. So, well, it's going back to the the cryptid theory, you know, of of, uh, of Bigfoot, you know, and all these hairy dwarves seen in South America and things like that. Yeah. And a lot of these, a lot of these sightings, interestingly enough, are kind of kind of uh, thrown into the whole ufological. Uh, a repertoire, you know, where we're dealing with uh, possible UFO pilots, and and you know, when I when I read a report about little 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 uh, highly aggressive hairy dwarves attacking people in, in South America, I have trouble I have trouble uh, imagining these beings piloting flying saucers. You know, they seem more to me like maybe uh, a remnant population of a of a of an offshoot that didn't make it. Yeah. And uh, you know they could be extinct by now. So on that same token, maybe some of these uh, primates, some of these mystery primates that, that seem to stalk the world, are you know uh, the less advanced cousins of, of the cryptoterrestrial intelligence uh, and, and uh, the, the beings known as known as Bigfoot. As much as I deplore that term, could be. <laughs> well, it just it just has such. Such cheesy connotations, yeah. but you know, this, these could—if they're real—they could—they could very well be, you know, uh, just a form of cryptoterrestrial that is not very advanced. You can't look at any any culture and and uh, and try to find try to find one without uh, a tradition 
a folkloric tradition of, of small beings, usually from the sky, with some interest in human reproduction. Yeah. And, you know, whether this is some sort of Jungian phenomena that we, that we don't know how to assess or whether it's some sort of buried memory, uh, my guess is that, is that there's some physical substantiation for it and, uh, and that uh, the cryptoterrestrial idea uh, accommodates it in a way that uh, the ETH doesn't. The only other really uh, sort of question I kind of have is that, and uh, you probably you kind of touched on this already in a way, to use the old-fashioned, super generic, uh, why don't they land on the White House lawn type of thing. But in right. a sense, you know, and especially in our politically correct culture nowadays, I mean, they're a special interest group. I'm surprised they don't have, you know, um, their own month to celebrate, you know, hobbits and, and that kind of thing. How, how come how come we haven't, how, how come the, uh, the hobbits haven't asserted, I'm just calling them hobbits now, how come right. the crypto-terrestrials haven't asserted asserted themselves uh, to, you know, to get a better stake in, in, in their their voice on what's going on in the world. Well, I mentioned earlier they're desperate. I didn't really ex expand on that. I think they're I think they're fragile and vulnerable, you know, yeah. numerically and otherwise. You know, I think that they're uh, possibly a remnant population. And if you're that if you're that kind of if you're that kind of a minority, um, I don't think it's a very good idea to advertise your presence. Yeah. Uh, because you're you're going to be exploited one way or another. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem to be the way they do things. And uh, I, I I for one don't blame them. So that's my that's my uh, little pat explanation for why they don't uh, approach the UN and and uh, demand, demand their own country or something. All right, yeah, that kind of that makes sense, and then they could end up in a zoo or something. So you know, they might they could wind, yeah, they could easily wind up in the zoo or or its uh, laboratory or equivalent, right? And uh, yeah, I don't think that would be in their best interests at all. I think, and uh, I think right now, I think right now they still have us um, by the by the reins. Yeah. At least, at least in many critical respects, and they're not gonna, they're not going to blow that until perhaps they have to, and we don't appear to be at that point yet. Uh, whether we will at some point in the future is an interesting question. You know, whether we continue to uh, to torch the planet with the greenhouse effect or something, and and, and until it results in some sort of some sort of uh, you know ecological collapse. Whether they might feel feel the need to make themselves known at that point because they feel they have nothing to lose. Uh, that's possible. Yeah, if we encroach on their their situation. Right. It might get to the point where it's they uh, take up arms, so to speak. Maybe not literally, but uh, but nevertheless uh, make themselves known in order to uh, set things right. Yeah. According to their own definition of right, and we might not. Uh, well, we might not like that, given their ability to uh, to infiltrate and uh, pull off lots of uh, what what amounts to kidnapping at will. Yeah, you alluded to a book, and uh, I wanted to know about that. And where where's this uh, crypto terrestrial theory go from here? More uh, more research, obviously, and and sort of uh, trying to trying to tie up the loose ends in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm just going. I'm continuing to elaborate and trying, trying to flesh out the theories that I've, yeah. been, that I've been talking with you about with some with some more cases because yeah. there are actually some some cases uh, that are that are highly illustrated with this. And one of these one of these is the uh, mm -hmm. uh, V.S. Boas abduction. Okay, yeah, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, this is a case of a farmer who, for three consecutive nights, saw these red lights in the sky. You know, like he's being observed, and then finally he gets uh, abducted by uh, these suited beings. He doesn't get a good look at him, but he proceeds to have intercourse with this extremely human-looking being. And you were asking earlier about uh, uh, 
physical characteristics of, of these beings. Yeah. And uh, again, this, this, this woman that he had sex with is probably, you know, predominantly human. The fact that she, he's having intercourse with her, I mean, obviously uh, she's, that argues that she's pretty much human, but she's got interesting characteristics. She has big eyes, you know, um, she's very pale. Uh, yeah. And if you look at some of the illustrations of her, she's, uh, you immediately think of the cover of Communion. There are some superficial uh, similarities there that lead me to believe that the gray is an exaggeration, kind of a racial caricature, if you will. Yeah, of the crypto. Of, of the cryptos, right. Interesting. And so, uh, like you said, you got the book. Uh, what's the timetable on the book situation? And uh, I'm not sure. When, I don't have a deadline. I do, however, have nice. a publisher, and <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping to get this out this year, and hopefully, the, I won't have any. Uh, it's a publisher. It's it's a print-on-demand publisher, uh, and it's the same editor I had for the. Uh, that I had for the Mars book, and he and he he likes the idea, and he's been he's been, uh, uh, I think, pretty supportive. Of, uh, of the whole question, so I will hopefully I won't run into the same problems I've had with the with the distribution for the Mars book. Yeah, yeah. So people who are interested in this can actually get their hands on a hard copy. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And um, do you have a title for the book yet? I, I'm calling it uh, the working title is the Crypto Terrestrials, um, and then the subtitle is Indigenous Humanoids and the Aliens Among Us. And I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in fact, I couldn't. I didn't even think of the term crypto terrestrials. I was using ultra terrestrials, which yeah. is John Keel's word, and I, 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 did, I had forgotten he, that he had turned that. And I was like, oh, that doesn't work. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm just rehashing his ideas. Yeah. And somebody on my blog recommended crypto terrestrials, and that, that just kind of stuck. Before ultra terrestrials, I was calling them crypto hominids, but that's too much like Lauren Coleman territory, you know? Yeah. Then you're into the yeah. Yeah, and I didn't. That, that gave the wrong impression. So, intraterrestrials was a close call. Uh, that sounds kind of cool. Intraterrestrials. Intraterrestrials. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you, yeah. You know, kind of like. I like that. I like that. I like the way that sounds, and it, and it actually gets the meaning across. But crypto terrestrials, I think, has a, has a, has cachet. Yeah. And I like I like that term, so I'm going to use that. It's got some meme to it. Yeah, it's a good meme, and it, and, it, and it seems to it seems to have uh, flourished. You know? Yeah, so people seem comfortable using it. Well, we live in the Dan Brown generation, you know, mm -hmm. the, with the Da Vinci Code and huge historical riddles and things like this are really big. You know, the, whether it's the bloodline of Christ or the you know the bloodline of humanity itself, and uh, and uh, the crypto, the very the very preface crypto, you know, is uh, is very cryptic and. Uh, I think that that appeals to people. It, there seems to be this huge, this huge interest in in, in things like that, and justifiably so. I feel uh, this is exciting, and there's an exciting air to it almost. This is something new and exciting, and, and I feel like we're just in the beginning of of what what may turn out to be quite an interesting um, new branch of, of investigation into into the UFO ET blah 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 phenomenon. Well, yeah, because since it is a hypothesis, it, 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 you know, it should be possible to perhaps look. I was just reading an article about junk DNA, for example. You know, and yeah. uh, you know, there are some there are some explanations about what junk DNA is, but uh, perhaps they're wrong. You know, perhaps we should take a closer look and see if this could be, you know, hypothetically uh, attributed to genetic intervention you know, yeah. in the past. Because if if these meddling cryptoterrestrial beings are engineering themselves, then perhaps they're also engineering us in some respects as well. Uh, we could be part of their ambient environment just as the uh, inanimate world is. 
So there's another disturbing idea, another paranoid disturbing idea to, to play with. <laughs> I really look forward to getting my hands on this book when it's done and seeing where you take this crypto-terrestrial theory, because I had heard about it uh, through Paul Kimball earlier on in the year. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been uh, he's been supportive of it. You know, it, to, to, in as insofar as that, you know, he's saying, you know, look, he's just asking. You know, yeah. and some people don't get that, but Paul Paul gets that. Yeah, yeah, and I've sort of slowly watched this buzz grow around the crypto terrestrial theory, and like I said, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Well, that that makes two of us. <laughs> and then to sort of move on and, and, and look at some stuff in the big picture, uh, and, and that's the UFO phenomenon in general. Ufology, really, the field, not so mm -hmm. much, not so much the UFO phenomenon. We've discussed that ad nauseum, really. But um, the U the ufology field in general, and and to start out, we'll sort of. Uh, tackle one of the big talking points on the show, um, and you're one of the better people to talk about it with, and that's the young people and ufology. I've almost beat this topic to death, but I think yeah. we can still wring a little bit more out of it. Because um, as you said, you're 31, I'm going to be 28 next week, you know, we're, we're young guys, uh, especially in the field of ufology. This seems to be a growing problem that I've been trying to address on the program, and that is the lack of young people in ufology. Talk about this problem, which as I see it, that is that ufology doesn't seem to be drawing in young people anymore, and, and what can we do about, about sort of changing that scenario? I think one of, the, one of the primary obstacles right now is the media. And I think the media uh, just continually insults our intelligence on matters of the unknown. Yeah. Uh, for example, I was flown out to uh, Albuquerque for a Discovery Channel documentary, and uh, and it was a fun trip, and I got to see a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, and they spent a whole day interviewing me. And uh, you know, in, in the interview segment, you know, I was in this. You know, they lit up this little. I was in this theater all by myself, and they put the lights on me and everything. And uh, you know, they're asking me these questions, but they're very leading questions. You know, yeah. the, whether what I believe, you know, here and believe there. And I and I'm I'm qualifying these questions with, well, you know, what do you mean by believe or how, and define cover up? You know, yeah, things like yeah. this. And of course, I don't make the cut. You know, even though I thought I I was much more articulate than the people who did. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think the answer is pretty obvious. I think uh, either I think more highly of my of my screen presence than <laughs> than I should, <laughs> which you know I can't rule that out. But at the same time, I think I was uh, I was dodging this this binary thought problem. Yeah. And I think I was I think I was uh, veering away from this very either or mentality that it seems to be part and parcel of the way the media treats any topic mm -hmm. uh, that smacks of the unknown or the unfamiliar, and uh, UFOs included, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, I think part. I think the big problem right now is is the media's treatment. It's it's been it's been uh, addicted to the same treatment for so long that I, I don't remember a time when it when there was an open inquiry, when there was a true open-minded approach. Yeah. It's always the same thing. Uh, the last the last um, the last uh, time I watched a UFO documentary was the uh, Peter Jennings thing, mm -hmm. and I thought, I thought the first half of it was really pretty good. And in the second half, it was just like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Back to the same old thing. Yeah. And the whole, you know, you know, trot out some some person who has no expertise, knows nothing about the subject, but, but you know, has a Ph.D. in astronomy or something, and to say that it's nonsense and then, and then have some abductee on it. And I'm not, I'm not ragging on abductees, but it's not the strongest. Yeah. You know, if we need to be, if we need to be focusing on, 
on, um, on, on ufology, the, the serious aspects of ufology, we shouldn't ignore the abduction phenomenon. It would be, you know, it would be quite stupid. But it's not, uh, the phenomenon does not fall or stand on, 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 on the abduction aspect. Uh, the phenomenon falls or stands on, on, on the evidence that there are such things as UFOs. And, and my answer to the, to the debate around that is that, of, co of course, there are. And too often we forget what unidentified plane object means. It does not entail extraterrestrial spaceship. And uh, in, in the debunker's mind, it does. And in the media's mind, it does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people have advanced new terms for this. Ivan Sanderson trying to do it, and uh, Paul Kimball's advocated unexplained aerial phenomena, which is uh, maybe fair enough, but I, I, don't think, I don't think we should apologize for the term UFO. I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, I don't think we need to start trying to disassociate it from, its, from the connotations it's developed. Yeah. It's a semantic issue. Let me sort of uh, focus in a little bit on 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 your response and and the, and the question a little bit, only because uh, the media issue is definitely a problem for ufology. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't sort of address the still overarching problem of the lack of young people. Yeah, yeah is there uh, now? I've I've thrown out some of my own theories lately uh, on what it why it might be going on. Obviously, you have to factor in the ridicule factor, and just that. Young people are, in general, uh, busy with their own crazy lives. Um, and also, I find lately that the 9-11 movement has stolen all of our young people. They've, they're all gravid... Anyone who would be involved in the esoteric that's young is doing 9-11 now. Good point. Yeah, the people with, with the Jones for uh, conspiracy have been sucked into the 9-11 thing. Yeah. And, uh, we're, yeah, well, that might be, a, you know, that might be a good thing. We might not need those people after all, but, yeah, but <laughs> nevertheless, you have, a, you have a very good point there. Is there a, a methodology or a tact we can take, do you think, that could draw more young people in, or are we just going to have to rely on people like you and me and John Greenwald and other people to sort of uh, come out of the woodwork? And well, the answer, I think, involved? is the Internet. And, I mean, the, the, buzz, the buzz term of, of the last few years online, uh, aside from Web 2.0, is social network working. And uh, technologies like YouTube and MySpace, yeah. uh, UFOs are not friendly to these subjects, or rather, or rather the, uh, to, to these um, media, and, or rather these media are not uh, friendly to UFOs. But that can change. Uh, you know, how many ufologists have MySpace pages, for example? Maybe you know, a dozen. If yeah, that, Half I, I, that's more than I more than yeah. I thought. It's still not enough. Uh, we need to see we need to see more of that. We also need to see more mainstream scientists who are willing to have the guts to to realize that that uh, associating their names with the UFO inquiry does not equal professional suicide. Uh, Bernard Hayes is an example of a, of a very qualified scientist who has legitimate interest in UFOs and understands what the what the term means, which is more than you can say for many. And uh, we need more like him. We need more scientists who are willing to put, uh, you know, just have the guts to to just to ask a question, to pose a question. You know, why not? Uh, Kaku is another one who's who's yeah. just been. You know, he doesn't have any problem with it. You know, UFOs, yes, it's a mystery. You know, tell me, give me one reason why they can't be visitors from somewhere else. And uh, we need to see more people who are willing to, to do that. And right now, right now, it's still, it's still, we're still seeing the effects of, uh, of the Condon Committee and, and other, other efforts like that to, to just absolutely dispel uh, any, any credence given.
given to the UFO inquiry, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's an inquiry. If we look at it as a as a as a as a media problem and and not a scientific problem for those people who who are un uncomfortable, you know, discussing it in scientific terms. If they if they stick to their own respective disciplines and, and treat it as a media problem or a sociological a question of sociological importance, uh, Dr. Lay, I'm sure would agree with that. Um, then. There again, yeah, computer science. You know, there's a, there's a huge uh, there's a huge need for you know uh, catalog data and you know analysis of of data and finding correlations and signals in the noise that have nothing to do uh, with extraterrestrial or crypto terrestrial intelligence. Uh, it's simply a, it's simply a matter of finding trends. And uh, you look at websites. There's a really good one called Information Aesthetics uh, that has Stunning examples of, of, of uh, very involving visual ways of mapping data and mapping trends, and uh, you know we need to see some of these tools brought to bear on the UFO problem in its many, many, many um, uh, manifestations. I should point out that uh, actually, ironically enough, Ryan Wood's working on a similar pro project along those lines. Uh, called UFO Dex. I don't know. I think I might have mentioned it to you before. No, yeah, you sure. mentioned it, and I, and I kind of for, kind of forgotten about that. But yeah, that sounds. We that's that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And do you think it's sort of uh, with regards to the young people? Uh, just to go back to that one last time, do you think it's sort of uh, we seem to be in a down period here for UFO ufology and UFO research? You mean like because there hasn't been some huge sighting that's galvanized, you know, the community? Not so much that. I don't think we should be at the mercy of whether if whether there's a, if whether there's a wave of sightings or not. No, that's not that's yeah. not where I'm going. I'm, okay. I'm more saying along the lines of, um, you know, oh, 10 years ago the X-Files was huge and looking into UFOs was cool. Um, and now it's sort of, there's not really a big buzz around ufology as there was maybe back then. It was sort of, uh, are we a victim here of the ebb and flow of popularity as far as ufology goes? Right. The, the X-Files made uh, the paranormal sexy, uh, but they didn't necessarily make it intelligent. <laughs> And uh, there's a difference, and there's, not, there's nothing wrong with sexy, and we could do with some more of that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, instead, we now we have things like MythBusters and things like that. And I don't have a television, so it's hard for me to keep oh, track wow. of them all. Yeah, I don't watch TV. I, I just I'm, I'm turned off, and some people some people really chastise me for that. But uh, Kim, Kimball's one of them. It's surprising, <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll I'll hold my uh, I'll hold my tongue. <laughs> But uh, you know, I I have trouble with. Uh, but I'm, uh, at the same time, I try to keep track of what's going on without actually sitting down and watching two hours of television and attendant commercials. And uh, yeah, we have uh, it's it's we become more cynical, uh, and we have bullshit by uh, Penn and Teller, Penn and Teller yeah. right? And I, you know, some some it's one of those things that it's like Michael Shermer. He's really good when he's talking about things he knows about, like. Uh, uh, Revisionist historic history and yeah. uh, and uh, the reality of Noah's Ark and things like that. You know, known absurdities where you can just effortless. You know, it's like drowning kittens deflating these myths. But you get to something thorny like UFOs, and you try and you have an you know an hour, if that, to um, address the entire mystery. Then uh, you're bound to fall short. So yeah, we've, we're going through a cynical time right now. I think that's my general impression. Uh, the UFOs, of course, were very cynical too, but the cynicism was aimed more at uh, the authorities and the government, and it did that very cleverly by making the two the two main characters FBI agents. 
But now, uh, yeah, the whole abduction thing seems to have run out of steam. Everyone is so familiar with it that it doesn't even make for a clever beer commercial anymore. <laughs> in discussing sort of the ebb and flow of popularity, I'm almost more interested in just recruiting than, than the quality of the research. I mean, well, the good people will show up eventually if, as long as we bring in enough people. But it seems like I'm worried that we're not bringing in enough people. I don't know. Uh, Gary McKinnon. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I think his UFO investigating days may be over. I think they might be too. <laughs> Unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Yeah, on the team. What's that? Depends which, which, which side of the team, which side of the, which, which team you're on, I guess. Yeah. And, and then, there are more uh, than two teams. What's that? Well, there actually, are far that, more than two teams. That sort of brings me to uh, another question. I'll jump to that one now, in a way, because I was thinking about this last night when I was preparing for the interview, is that nowadays ufology seems to be broken into some sub-camps here that's going on, and there's uh, the, old, Ooh, yeah. the old school. I, I tried to come up with them. Maybe you can help me here. Uh, the old school, where I put, like, the Freedmans, the Maccabees, uh, MUFON, and, and that sort of crew. That's the old school. I agree with that one. Uh, the Exopolitics. Then the new school is uh, sort of like the, the Kimballs, the U, Nick Redburn, Greg Bishop, that sort of crew of people that are uh, sort of fresh to the to the ideas and the and funny thing about, new about the new school like get like uh, like Redfern and Bishop uh, is that they're very uh, well versed in old school Fortean stuff yeah that before was excluded from ufology because it was because it didn't seem to have anything to do with it well it has everything to do with it but uh, we're just now realizing that again collectively, uh, these guys have known it forever. So you think it's a situation where these new guys are, are bringing in all the disciplines together in a way? Yeah, I think it needs to be as inclusive as possible, and not for political reasons, but for the simple fact that the UFO phenomenon is but a single aspect of a much bigger thing. It's not just this, uh, it's, you know, it's like trying to define biology and, and just stick with biology and ignore the ignore the rest of the uh, rest of the planet when there are obvious when there's an obvious interface between the biosphere and, and uh, the planet itself. Um, so, yeah, people like people like Mick Redfern and Greg Bishop are, are just uh, very refreshingly informed in a way that uh, your old school isn't. Now, where do you think the field in general really needs to go? Do you think that these camps have to come to some kind of collective uh, agreement, or is it just going to keep fighting each other? I think the phenomenon wants us to come to a collective agreement. And I don't think that's in our best interests. I think I think uh, we need to just become uh, questioners. I think we need to continue questioning this with everything we've got, and um, you know, only come to some sort of agreement when it's really uh, called for. Right now, I see little room, uh, little reason for agreement. Uh, everything seems pretty. Uh, uh, contradictory. The phenomenon contradicts itself, you know, and uh, and the authorities contradict themselves. Hey, there's there's uh, many levels of, of, of cover up that have nothing to do with with men in black, and uh, we need to we need to you know swallow our our pride, I suppose, and and deal with this as as the conundrum of of, of questions that it is. And uh, I think. Personally, it's much more interesting when viewed as this as this layer upon layer of, of, of unacknowledged weirdness. You know, it's kind of like exploring some new territory, and I think that can could possibly be made sexy in a way that uh, the X Files' uh, predisposition for crash saucers and alien bodies and and things like that, you know, tapped into during the 1990s. I think fiction is a very powerful medium, and we're seeing very very little. Uh, 
ufological fiction. Uh, you see hardly any UFO science fiction. One thing I, I've, I've talked about before with various people is that you'd think there'd be a crossover. For someone who's not in either camp, you'd think there'd be a crossover between science fiction and ufology. You'd think they'd make natural allies, and they're anything but. They're oil and water. And uh, there needs to be an overlap there that so far has not really been addressed at all outside of a couple books by Willie Strieber and, uh, and uh, a book by Ian Watson and a couple others. And, uh, you know, fiction is a very, very, uh, a very, very good way of conveying ideas. Uh, and we need to use that. We need, we need to, see some, to see some informed fiction that deals with, with hard existential questions pertaining to the, the reality of the UFO phenomenon. But we're not going to see that until we have authors who know what they're talking about and who are willing to exploit fiction for more than its commercial uh, potential because people, you know, equate UFOs with ETs and think ETs are cool. Sort of uh, to go back to, to what I was talking about a little bit, what about the uh, sort of disagreement is as far as methodology of what to do about the UFO phenomenon? With uh, this, this, these split camps in the UFO field, um, you know, like the exopolitics people want, they're pushing the government, and and then sort of the new school people are more into the investigation, and then you also have the subgroups that are focused on individual portions of the investigation. I think we need to, I think we need to uh, put less emphasis on the organizations and more emphasis on individual reports. I think there's where you're going to find your treasure trove of truly illuminating. Uh, testimony um, from individuals. I think organizations invariably put a spin on it, even when they try not to. Uh, you know, I, I think anything filtered through MUFON is eventually going to be uh, tinted with the extraterrestrial meme, and uh, we need to get away from that. Uh, nothing wrong with MUFON, but you know, nothing wrong with with organizations per se, but they have a tendency to project their own uh, belief structure onto any given any given report, and. Uh, you know, I, I'm for the complete, complete destruction of the whole regime. I'm kind of, an, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of an anarchist when it comes to when it comes to UFOs because I don't think, uh, you know, I see exopolitics, and that's that, that's the most overt manifestation of this. That's the most recognizably yeah. political, you know, of, of all these agendas. But all these people have agendas. It's not just it's not just the exopolitical movement, and some of the agendas aren't necessarily wrong, but they're limiting. They have a certain limiting effect, and uh, I think. We need to go straight to the people who are experiencing this weirdness, regardless if it seems to be um, a UFO-related experience on the face of it, and uh, go from there and see where these patterns take us, and and bring the computing ability that's within everyone's grasp now. Everyone has a computer. Uh, bring this ubiquitous uh, tool to bear on it. In, in a way that's engaging to the senses. Sort of like the layer upon layer and going to the source uh, kind of mind was the uh, the Skinwalker Ranch story. That kind of, mm -hmm. that sort of thing would be kind of uh, maybe what you're talking about. It is, it is. It's, it's a good it's a good crossover because it doesn't, uh, I just saw it on the bookshelves, bookshelves last night actually at Barnes & Noble and uh, yeah, it's lumped in with metaphysics which isn't necessarily a good thing because that's where my Mars book was lumped in with metaphysics. But and it has nothing to do with metaphysics. But, yeah, at least it wasn't pigeonholed as, as UFO or uh, – I think the Borders bookstore has a much better sensibility about it because they have a section labeled speculation. No, yeah, that's okay. That's pretty good. I, mean, I can deal with that. I think some of the titles in speculation could very well be in the science section. In many cases, should be in the science section. But speculation is better than uh, a cult, you know, so.
some some arbitrary corporate term, you know, like that. There's definitely a public relations problem with the esoteric in general. Yeah, how, how do you market ideas that have no market? Exactly. It's uh, so fringe that it's uh, limited by its own fringeness. And exactly. You have, you have to define it by, uh, by uh, you know, weird, lame corporate terminology to for people to even recognize it. And uh, and consequently, they don't know the they don't know the entirety. They don't know the whole story. I mean, n neither do any of us. But at least some of us have an inkling that there's a deeper, a deeper waters to be to be to be uh, explored than just uh, than just a, a daylight disc photographed over a city or something like that. You know, it's it's not just a matter of uh, of addressing the possibilities of. Um, whether we're being visited by by aliens and 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 nuts and bolts spacecraft, and you know that's that's one aspect of it. You know, bringing the hauling in the the old Drake equation and things like that. But you can only get so far, and I think we've reached I think we've we've reached a cul-de-sac, and we might very well see the extinction of ufology within within a generation or two, unless we take some measure to redefine how we approach it. It's not it's not so much a marketing decision as 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 a way of as an ontological decision, just totally reformatting the way in which we perceive strange things, and you know, you hear about you hear about 2012 and the end of the Mayan calendar and how there's some, going to be some imminent change in the way in consciousness. You know, I don't believe it for a minute, but it would be it would be nice if we suddenly, you know, bam! All of a sudden, everyone's able to uh, to see the bigger picture, or at least have the have the faculties. Uh, honed fine enough to be able to see the bigger picture if indeed, if indeed there is one, as I think there is. You kind of touch on sort of like this nagging feeling that I've had in the last couple of years since I got into the whole uh, esoteric field, and that is that, that ufology is kind of broken. I'm not sure what really how it got broken or, or how we can fix it, but it, it feels broken. It started off with a lot of steam, you know, and uh, we, you know, with, with like Kehoe and, and NICAP. And it's and you know lots of lots of you know very very uh, progressive progressive thinking behind yeah. it, and since then it's become it's it's gone through lots of well it's gone through lots of uh, concentrated disinformation, which is something that in, in the early era uh, it's it's hard to see where that came into play. But now you've got uh, the MJ12 controversy, which I consider uh, disinformation. And uh, and you know, lots of the alien abductions exploited by the media because there has such obvious commercial potential. We're left in this kind of post-ufological state where where the phenomena that we're investigating may or may not even have anything to do with with the phenomena. <laughs> what we're trying to address is just uh, kind of a residue of leftover ideas that are being rehashed on late night radio ad nauseum. And I I, I don't I, another confession I don't listen to late night radio. <laughs> I listen to it's various internet radio at times, but uh, I just I, half the time I just can't stand it when I hear when I hear the the, the typical goings on 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 uh, coast to coast. Not, yeah. Nothing against the show. I think it's entertaining. I just don't I just don't uh, think it's it's progressive from a research perspective. It's entertainment. It doesn't pretend to be anything else. Obviously, you're a prolific blogger, and uh, you've been you've been doing the online thing for quite some time. Like you said, you had a blog before blogs were were blogs. Um, so, what do you think of the ufology scene on the internet? Because that's sort of the the uh, the cutting edge of ufology, I guess, only because it's updated every day. I think the future of ufology is is going to be largely online. We're already seeing some some significant steps there, and and have been for a while. Right now, I'm not too impressed. 
the majority of the, of the discussion groups and stuff seem to be fairly limited. Uh, for example, if you do a search for UFO on YouTube, I do sometimes looking for weird things. Uh, the commentary is dismal, you know. Uh, these people don't even know how to spell, you yeah. know, let alone uh, post a coherent thought on something. You know, and it's all very knee-jerk. And a lot of the footage circulating is no has been known for ten years to be fake. I'm not talking controversial. I'm talking about known to be fake. And people are still posting this stuff. And no, oh, this can't be real. No, it's real. No, it can't be real. And this definitely needs to be phased out. Um, you know, we have all this. Well, it comes back to Theodore Sturgeon's law uh, when, when asked why 90, 99 or 90 percent of science fiction was so awful. And he said, well, it's because 90 percent of everything is awful. And he has a very good point. It's the same thing applies to, to ufology. I mean, 90 percent of it's so bad because well, everything is. It's just that, it's just that we, we uh, approach ufology with a very critical eye because we expect and deserve more. There are some good elements to ufology on the Internet. In a sense, oh, yeah, there's some good elements, but they're few and far between. <laughs> that remaining, yeah, it's it's just uh, and finding them is hard. Part of where that was going was uh, with, especially with regards to like this crypto terrestrial idea. It does in some pockets, like your blog, for instance, it does allow for uh, you know the germination of new ideas. True, but also my blog is not a UFO UFO blog. Yeah, so well, I'm, I'm speaking it is, more half the time. Terms. Half the time I'm writing about. Uh, um, Things <laughs> could, have, could have nothing, nothing less in common with UFOs, but but yeah, I, I I guess maybe it is a UFO. But people recognize it as that. But I've also seen it, interestingly enough, on some listed on some technology blogs as a, as a technology blog because I, I like to comment on uh, I like to write about the uh, our own future a lot, yeah. and I think our, the issue of our own our own. Uh, trajectory into the next century is is a vital aspect of assessing the possibilities in which uh, by which extraterrestrials might uh, choose to make contact with us so there's 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 definite crossover there and you've also got this uh, friction between the, the so-called transhumanists and the who don't have nothing who want nothing to do with UFOs because they consider it infantile superstition basically of course they know nothing about it but then it makes no difference at all they just don't want to be they just don't want to be colored by it or seen you know in the same room with it and on on a certain level I don't blame them but uh, but yeah I, the, you know some people don't like me because I you know I like writing about subjects like like the future and and uh, our own future and, and you know our chances and what we're going to be doing with uh, our technology and and the future of the human body. You know whether we're going to integrate with machines in a meaningful, productive manner, or, or whether we're going to uh, you know suffer some sort of uh, massive massive uh, biospheric collapse before we reach the point where that's possible. Well, you know whether we're going to uh, whether we're going to um, Transcend ourselves to the point where we're more or less a fixture of the of the cosmos. Because right now, I think we're very fragile and, and uh, uh, essentially a pretty ephemeral planetary phenomenon. We might not be here for another uh, 200 years, and that, that's of great concern to me. And I think that's a question that should have great bearing on the whole issue of uh, UFOs as well, because UFOs, you, you tend to think of extraterrestrials, and uh, once you do that, you might as well start thinking about, well, how did 
how to, if, assuming we're being visited by extraterrestrials, which is the most common, the common, most common interpretation of the, of the word, unfortunately. Now let's make the most of it and start wondering about how these, these presumed extraterrestrials got to the point where they can visit us, because that's something that I think would be very good for us to be doing, is visiting other star systems, and I think a lot of other people would agree with that, uh, that that's, that's imminently worth, worth doing, and exploration is, is, is definitely worth you know worth pursuing, and we're not we're not doing that right now. Right now we're going in circles around Earth and in, in, in orbit. So uh, it's you know, it's a, it's a it's a very weird landscape and uh, lots of infighting. Uh, but and I think we're always going to have infighting as long as we're talking about weird ideas. As long as an idea isn't couched in the in the workaday here and now. As long as it had you know has. As long as it's out there and not and not a daily part of your life, then it's going to be it's going to be scorned. Because unfortunately, most people are content with going to work and coming home and watching TV. And you don't even own a TV, so <laughs> I'm not, it doesn't make me better than anything. No, I know. I just don't have that interest. I'm just busting your chops. Yeah, I know. Um, being that you and I are so young and these, these mysteries have been with us for a long time, and I'm not just talking about the UFO mystery, really, mm -hmm. but also like and the Mars mystery and even Bigfoot and all those crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea when we're going to find out any answers to these things? And are you hopeful for any answers to any of these subjects uh, in our lifetime? I'll, I'll pick the Bigfoot one. Okay. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. You know, because here's, here's something that should be testable. You know, uh, Nick Redfern thinks Bigfoot is is like a like a thought projection of sorts. Really? In which case, we might never know. But if Bigfoot is a flesh and blood primate living living in the, living in seclusion, then we're losing that seclusion. You know, the, the forests are coming down. You know, and uh, and the world is becoming a hotter, drier place, and the remaining forests are starting to burn. Uh, the Amazon, there's a there's a very good chance the Amazon will be will be toast in 20 years, in which case it's going to be very hard to breathe. Uh, you know, if some of these things come to pass, and there's going to be less and less habitat for the, for this for this hypothetical species of hominid, and uh, we should know. So that that's testable. That that makes it a testable hypothesis whether this uh, species exists. Because sooner or later, it's going to have to show itself because there's not going to be anywhere else to to live. So so there's there's a there's a very bleak but but uh, <laughs> practical answer to to the, the mystery of uh, certain uh, cryptids, alleged cryptids. And what about uh, what about the big dog here, the UFO phenomenon, um, crypto terrestrial, extraterrestrial, either way, whatever? Do you think we're ever going to find out? Well, in our lifetime, or is this going to be something that two generations from now we're going to be old school and, and the new school will be talking about how, you know, you and I are like 60 and, and have been doing it for 30 years and don't have an answer either? Well, that implies that we have a future as a species, you know. That, that would actually please me to no end if, <laughs> if, if we're 60 and there are people talking about it. But uh, uh, nevertheless, I think uh, I'm generally comfortable making only a couple of assertions about UFOs, and I think one of them is that they're intelligent. I think it well, in that it, it represents a form of non-human intelligence. Yeah, I think that's a reasonably safe uh, con conjecture, mm -hmm. and I also think that UFOs are physical and that they are they they operate on our, on a level of reality where we can where we can at least in theory. Uh, if we had one, we could take it into a laboratory and look at it uh, because they do leave physical effects. And uh, 
given those two things, it's it's tempting to wonder what it might have in store for us. You know, it might not have anything in store for us. It might be uh, it might be some sort of automated system that just keeps just keeps the game going. You know, maybe yeah. it's an evolutionary catalyst that just keeps showing us possible futures uh, through the medium of mythology in order to keep us on our toes and possibly in order to keep us from destroying ourselves. And that's one thing that uh, if it's crypto-terrestrial in origin, that might be uh, one, of the, one of the primary re primary reasons we keep seeing structures in our skies that have no readily uh, apparent origin. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of, all kinds of possibilities here. And, uh, you know, I don't think we have enough, contrary to the exopoliticians and, and others, I don't think we have all the answers yet. I think this is, uh, I think this is a, one of the most significant phenomena ever to occur, and I think we need to uh, address it with the requisite uh, perseverance and uh, open-mindedness. And and right now, uh, given the state of the media, that's not going to happen. We need we need a drastic mutation. You know, we need we need to we need to mutate to accommodate this phenomenon, and that might be what it's asking us to do. I mean, it might be. Um, I mean, Jacques Vallée talked about this the psycho psychosocial thermostat. You know how it's how it's constantly uh, just out of touch. You know that might be the whole point. Uh, but maybe it is. Uh, maybe it is actually some sort of very patient, abiding form of intelligence that is kind of nudging us towards um, uh, a, a new state of of, of thought. And uh, given, given the uh, given the predicted uh, technological singularity, which is sometime around 2020, it's tempting to wonder if there's even a connection between the two. If there is uh, some some sort of common element between our own homegrown technological progress and uh, and the uh, more archetypal progress charted by the UFO mystery. Through yeah. history, I think it's a pretty deep subject with no with no clear answers, and that's not shedding a lot of light saying <laughs> anything that no one else has said. But it's I, but at least I, I, at least I feel that I'm making the the right decision and not proclaiming that it's this or that. Yeah, you know, I, my, my interests are lie in in questioning it and and approaching it in in new ways. And if people don't like that, then that's that's fine. But but I do, and I think I think that's a I think that's a worthwhile endeavor. Oh, definitely. I think we do need we need more of that attitude and less of the it's uh, the proclamation, less yeah. proclamation, and less more, proclamation, more speculation. I don't know. I'm trying to find a nice way to say it. L less proclamation and more trying just to investigate it. Yeah. And uh, now I was checking out your bio here. We're we're heading towards the end, and uh, I was looking at your bio, and it says you're a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research. Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about that. The Society for Planetary SETI Research. I mentioned some scientists that were interested in uh, the whole looking for artifacts on other planets, and we've fallen into this very unfortunate paradigm where uh, the reigning scientific um, mainstream is telling us that, you know, if, if there's evidence to be found of extraterrestrials, it's not going to be through UFOs or anything else. We're gonna, it's going to be through radio transmissions from other star systems. And there's nothing theoretically unsound about that. It could, be, could very well be that's how you make first contact. Uh, but that's not the only option. And uh, another option is that there are artifacts left on planetary surfaces, or, such as the moon, Mars, uh, farther out, mm -hmm. maybe orbiting by themselves in our solar system, and there's nothing at all theoretically unsound or weird about this. I mean, even even SETI def 
staunch SETI dissenters like Carl Sagan were very were very keen on the idea that our solar system might be home to uh, alien artifacts, uh, possibly automated observing stations or bases or you know the remains of of past visitations, if not necessarily active alien bases. And so the Society for Planetary Study Research is just an academic, uh, a group of academics who are interested in pursuing this and looking for evidence of uh, past visitation by ETs and uh, and assessing it with the, with the best technology that we have. And I'm on board because of my book, but everyone else pretty much has a, has a, has a doctorate at least or a PhD. So I mean, there it's, it's an invisible college scenario. We have uh, a bunch of qualified people who are interested in, in this subject, but you never hear about them. Instead, you hear about Richard Hoagland, and no surprise, you know, Richard Hoagland and his his website bashes, you know, the SPSR for uh, for not for not being a team player, I guess, you know, because they don't agree with everything that Richard Hoagland says. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Talk about polarization. That's unfortunate. Some people just want to own Mars research and uh, make it their own and not open it up to everybody. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a product. This is an inquiry. It's not commodity. And now, in, in, in sort of uh, in, in sort of along that realm, in a way, and I had this disagreement with somebody who was involved in a, a different SETI type organization, and not the not the SETI that we know and loathe. Um, that is, you know, uh, Seth Shostak's SETI, mm -hmm. and you probably had nothing to do with this, but maybe you can speak to it. Why would you? Uh, I, I guess, from my understanding, the SETI acronym has been around longer than SETI itself, the uh, the organization we're talking about. Yeah. Um, a lot of people assume that SETI is like a building somewhere yeah. full of radio astronomers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and uh, the argument that I'd gotten in with this person was, well, why would you even uh, sully, get yourself involved with something using the SETI acronym just because it's been so sullied by the SETI organization? Um, I don't know. What, what do you think of that? A lot of people get the wrong idea. They think SETI is just like UFO is synonymous with alien spacecraft. Unfortunately, too, many, too, too much of the time, SETI has become synonymous with uh, radio astronomy. And SETI, uh, it, it's a search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and that can take many forms. And uh, it's vague enough that I think other people should should feel free to appropriate it and use it for their own um, for their own um, for their own uh, uses, like like SBSR. Uh, Society for Planetary Study yeah. Research. Planetary study makes sense. You know, it's a search. It's SETI, but it's but it's specifying that we're looking on planets. That's yeah. our that's our that's our area of expertise. That's what that's what they're, that's what we're doing. And uh, uh, SETI, I think, is a little too cavalier in their use of the term SETI because it's it's very uh, prepossessing that uh, SETI is is um, inseparable from. The radio astronomical search for signals from space. Like, uh, I, I, think there, I think there needs to be a distinction made between SETI, between radio SETI. I think they should be called radio SETI yeah. or EM SETI or something like that to make it clear that what they're doing is it's not searching for extraterrestrial intelligence, but searching for signals of extraterrestrial origin. And, there, and there's a pretty critical difference there. For example, they have no interest in UFOs. They, they, issue, they issue ignorant remarks about UFOs in order to debunk it, uh, because that would uh, tend to make their efforts look rather silly if, if UFOs are indeed extraterrestrial spacecraft. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that's, you know, it's it's a political stumbling block for them. And uh, yeah, so I, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with the acronym. Uh, but uh, like all organizations I, that rely on acronyms, I'm a little wary of just just 
uh, instinctively. It's problematic only because of the SETI organizations co-opted the acronym and kind of uh, taking it as their own. Yeah, they've taken it as their own, and, and too often we see uh, – Younger starter startup organizations who are trying to uh, try different methods, they feel the need. They feel that it somehow uh, benefits them from from uh, from latching onto the SETI acronym. It makes them sound somehow more scientific, and. Uh, you know, I support Radio SETI. I, I, I think it's I think it's a valid thing to do, but um, sometimes I question how scientific they are about it. I think I think uh, it's at least fifty percent PR. Yeah, PR SETI. <laughs> well, I'd like to see the uh, the funding for SETI spread out a little bit to different different versions of SETI and not just the radio version. But there was an, as of a few years ago, it turned out that the SETI uh, SETI loves to make fun of the UFO cultists making money off their off their wares. Turns out that at least as of like three years ago, I think um, SETI was the number one institute, nonprofit institute in the United States, with the highest percentage of its income going to its administrators. Really? Yes. Wow. So talk about a cottage industry. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. That just uh, pretty much explains why they're so vehement about. Oh yeah, uh, I think SETI is, it's not following. It's not following the aliens. It's following the money. Sort of a fun question here before we wrap it up. And uh, I was searching through your blog, looking around a little bit, and I wanted to ask you about women and children first. You're unfinished novel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Ben, you're looking way back. Well, I stumbled upon uh, I stumbled upon your New Year's resolutions from last year. And you yeah, said well, you wanted to have it done by 2006. So what's the story with women and children first? Women and children first is is it's still it's still a, pr- a proposed title for uh, as, as soon as I as soon as I finished up some some paranormal work, I still want to, you know, I had a fiction book out before, and I'd like to do it again. Okay. And uh, so that yeah, I'm still working. I want it to be environmental in nature. I want to write. Uh, I want to write a uh, a very good literary. Uh, Science fiction novel dealing with environmental collapse. Oh wow! And, and uh, I'm thinking about doing it uh, and working in and working in an alien invasion motif into that. But uh, and uh, you know I've written bits and pieces here and there. And I, I post I post some fiction snippets onto my website on the, the dead letter office section actually. So you can find a few little little uh, bits that have that same general flavor. But women and children first. Yeah, the title I, I just came up with, came up with the title and really liked it. So yeah. I kind of recorded it for posterity there on my blog so I'd remember it. But uh, yeah, there, no, it's no publisher has it or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's not. It's not anything uh, that you should be uh, too excited about right now. <laughs> but 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 uh, suffice it to say, I haven't abandoned uh, my my fictional ambitions. Yeah. Well, I figured I'd ask you about that because uh, I was like, oh, well, look at this. He's got. A, he's working on a novel too. So. All right. Well, uh, we've we've talked really at length here about just a ton of stuff. What's what's coming up on the horizon here? What can we expect to to see from you uh, in 2007? It's 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 strange because I never really know exactly where it's going to go. I kind yeah. of uh, uh, my my trajectory is just kind of organic, you know. I just let it. I just see where it where it takes me, what idea strikes, and I really can't control what I, you know, when a, when a particular idea is going to strike or what's going to surface. Uh, and the internet is a very a very advantageous tool in that respect. So I'm gonna I'm going to continue writing about whatever interests me and. Uh, and hopefully I will uh, meet with some success with that, um, you know, in whatever. I, I know I have a, a few trips uh, in line this year, it looks like. So looks like I'll be taking a few trips, um, which, will, which, will be, which will be fun. I, I love traveling. And 
Uh, other than that, uh, who knows? I feel like I'm jinxing myself. <laughs> but whatever I do, it'll probably be pretty weird, and it'll probably be one of those things that uh, only only a small percentage of people online appreciate. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Well, well, that's a, a small percentage on, online is a lot of people. That's true. And that's and that's pretty. Uh, that has a that has a very uh, a very uh, gratifying uh, effect on me. So, uh, you know, I'm just going. to going to continue doing uh, what I've been doing for the last few years, hopefully ramp it up a few notches, and uh, you know, I, sh I should probably think more in terms of, of commercial viability uh, as opposed to you know, just, just simple intellectual uh, satisfaction, but then again, there's no reason why those two can't, why, the, why, this, why those two are mutually exclusive. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. I'm really excited about your the way you tackle the esoteric phenomenon and uh, from your work on the Mars book and this new stuff with the crypto terrestrial. You really uh, you bring a big picture perspective, and, and you're not afraid to take a fresh look at things, which is really nice. Um, and more of what we need of, really, in the esoteric realm, because there's a lot of cookie-cutter researchers out there that uh, you couldn't, you know, there are a dime a dozen, and, and you stand out from the pack because you're willing to take a, a different look at things. So and, and I can understand now what all the buzz was about, about Mac Tony's this past year. I can, uh, you've lived up to your reputation, all sir. Right. Well, if I start, if I start just, you know, issuing dogmatic, you know, repetitions of the same old thing, then, then you have my, you have my permission to completely, uh, Delete this this interview from your website. <laughs> oh man, because that means the crypto terrestrials have gotten to me. All right, we'll we'll keep that in mind. Um, thank you very much for being on the program. It was great having you. It was great talking to you for so long. And um, I'll be following your work. And I have a feeling that you and I will probably be crossing paths quite a bit in the future. All right, that's well, that's a good thing. I had a good time. There you have it, folks. That does it for this week's edition of Been All of America Audio. Big, big, super huge thanks to Mac Tonys for coming on the show and giving us so much of his time for the marathon interview session. You can find out more information on Mac Tonys at the following websites, www.posthumanblues.blogspot.com, and his formal website is mactonies.com, M-A-C-T-O-N-N-I-E-S.com. Moving right along now, it's time for Banal of America Audio listener feedback. This week's letter comes from Lauren in Rhode Island. Here's what Lauren has to say. I recently listened to your podcast with John Greenwald and found it inspiring. I'm a 19-year-old college student, and I've loved ufology for years, but I never realized there's anything to get involved in. I hear there is a lack of young people in the field, and so I'd like to try and fill that gap a little. I don't need any convincing not to be embarrassed about it. I've never been one to care what the majority thinks. Unfortunately, I don't really know how to get more involved. Since it is such an underground, taboo topic, it's not like I see flyers around my campus for anything to do with it. I was wondering if you knew of anything I could get involved in. I love your podcast. Thanks for airing them, and keep up the good work. Lauren in Rhode Island. Thank you very much for writing in, Lauren. I appreciate the feedback, and I am just humbled that you found the VOA Audio interview with John Greenwald inspiring. Hopefully we can inspire more young people to want to get involved in ufology and the esoteric in general. It doesn't have to be just UFO studies. Specifically regarding your inquiry, First and foremost, obviously, is the MUFON organization. They have these state meetings all over the place. I presume they have one in Rhode Island. I know they have one here in Massachusetts. You could always look into MUFON and see if that was something you were interested in or at least use that as a springboard for networking with other people in the area to study the UFO phenomenon. 
So that's a start. Beyond that, as far as UFOs and young people and uh, young people UFO groups, there's nothing really particularly like that. But if you listened to the James Carrion interview here at BOA Audio, you heard him talk about MUFON working with a college to get a college MUFON organization up and running. So there is the chance that if one gets up and running, then you could start your own MUFON at your college. So I don't know. Contact MUFON and, and talk to them about that sort of thing. Maybe you can get the ball rolling on that. Also, BOA columnist Tina Senna has a blog, yufology.blogspot.com, and I think that she's going to be focusing a lot on young people in ufology in the future there, so stay tuned to that blog. There's some roads for you to check out, Lauren. Let me know how those turn out, and uh, obviously we're always interested in hearing from young people interested in the esoteric. The more young people that get involved, the better. We are the next generation, so thank you so much for writing in, Lauren, and thank you for listening to the program. If you would like to be a part of Banal of America Audio listener feedback, here's how you go about doing it. You go to banalofamerica.com. You click Contact in the top right-hand corner of the screen. That will give you the information on how to get in touch with me. Or you write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. Either one of those methods puts your correspondence on the road to BOA Audio listener feedback. Next up, we thank the fine folks at binallofamerica.com for your help and support with the audio series and the website. Leslie, Chiron, Arlie, Joe V, Ralph Molesworth, and Tina Senna. As I said last week, folks, it's so important, I'm going to say it again. If you're only listening to Binall of America audio and you're just downloading the interviews and you're not reading the columns at the website, you are only getting half the story. You're really missing out on just a wealth of great esoteric material banallofamerica.com. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Also, I should point out additionally here this week that we are changing the style of the pages for the audio when you go to get the audio. You may have noticed that the font's a little bit different. It's a little smaller. We added a funky Google ad. I apologize for that, but you know, I gotta do what I gotta do here. If you like the smaller font, let me know. If you miss the big font, I don't know. Let me know. We'll work on that. But I figured I should mention it because, you know, some people like being kept up to date on that sort of thing. Segwaying from that note, if you are a long-time Banal of America audio listener or an appreciative newcomer, you've enjoyed the audio series. This week's episode was number 53 of the BOA Audio franchise as far as seasons 1 and 2 go. 53 episodes. I'm stunned by that number myself. If you're a long-time listener, you've listened to many of those 53. If you're a newcomer, you've only checked out 3 of the 53 and you want to help support the audio series, there's a simple way to do it. You go to banallofamerica.com, you click the PayPal button, and you make a donation. All the costs for this audio series come out of my pocket with help from Banal of America audio listeners. If you can help, please do. Click the PayPal button and make a donation. It would be greatly appreciated. Next week, critically acclaimed alternative science writer Marie Jones comes to the program to discuss her book, Science. You may have heard of this one. It's spelled with a P. P-S-I-E-N-C-E. We're going to be talking about that tenuous and oftentimes antagonistic relationship between esoteric studies and the cutting edge of mainstream science, what some like to call new science. We're going to talk all about that strange relationship between those two different areas of research, how they're almost on the peripheral of each other. They're very close to each other, but at the same time, they really can't seem to get it together, the esoteric and the new science. We're going to discuss some sociological aspects of esoteric research, funding, fear of ridicule, how does the niche science of esoterica get over that. 
we're going to talk about the latest in new science from multiple universe theories to multiple dimension research, zero point field, all kinds of areas that we have never discussed here on Banal of America Audio before, but we're going to do it next week on the program with Marie Jones, the author of Science. And on that note, we'll call it a week. Thank you very much for listening, folks. Until you hear from me next week, this is Tim Banal, signing off.